Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, sitting on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary Avenue. The rain has not stopped us. The retractable roof is out. Yeah, baby. Although I think it caused some heart palpitations for our engineer on site, Mike Geisen. So we just tried to stay out of his way. And, of course, he got everything working. So we would all be very in problem, have serious problems without Mike. Uh, old Winnipeg Jet fans uh, from the WHA days will remember Kent Nilsson was the magic man. At 680 CJOB, it's uh, Mike Geisen is the magic man. So thanks, Mike, for making this possible. Thanks to all the staff here at Santa Lucia who make us feel so welcome when we're here. What an absolutely incredible endorsement of this roof technology they have here at Santa Lucia. It was pouring rain, thundering and lightning. The rain has essentially stopped. Um, we got a little bit of water here on our table, but we are essentially bone dry here on the rooftop patio. And I know Kelly Moore is in Vancouver. This is kind of a Vancouver-like day. However, it's a Vancouver day in January we're experiencing here in Winnipeg right now. But we'll wait an hour or so, Kelly, and the, the weather will change. What's it like in Vancouver? Will the roof be open at BC Play Stadium tonight or not? Well, there's a slight threat of rain, but uh, I would suspect that uh, they'll probably keep the roof closed. Uh, it is a beautiful day here, though. I'm up on the 18th floor. I'll tell you, Bob Knuckles Irving certainly knows how to look after a kid. I'm on the 18th floor overlooking English Bay and the Stanley Park Walk. It is... Uh, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. And, of course, it's going to be a terrific football game tonight. Kelly Moore sitting in for Bob Irving. When's the last time you did a CFL game, Kel? Uh, never. This is your very first one. This is the first football game I will have broadcast. It will be the first sporting event I will have broadcast going back to 2008. Uh, when we did a, a 25th anniversary Campbell's Blazer broadcast, there were, at that time, there was three of us who had done the game, so we each did a period for a couple of nights against Colota. It was really cool. And then, of course, the last time I did a sports broadcast on CJOB was in May of 2006 when the Manitoba Moose blew a 4-2 lead going into the third period of Game 7 against the Grand Rapids Griffins in round two of the AHL playoffs and wound up losing that game and then the series. So this must be exciting for you then, Kelly, getting to do uh, your very first Canadian Football League game. Oh, it is. Brett, doing any kind of a sport is a lot of fun. I've done basketball before. As a matter of fact, the very first broadcast I did on CJOB was the night the U of M Bisons ended the U of W Westman's record winning streak uh, and uh, yeah, so that was uh, kind of a, uh, I guess it was a tough night because we were at the U of W and everybody was expecting that streak to continue. Uh, so I've done other sports, uh, and of course I've uh, had the great opportunity to anchor some golf and uh, Pan Am Games coverage on CJOB as well. But this will be a first, and uh, you know it'll it'll be a case of uh, uh, turning over to Doug Brown and looking at him and saying, okay. Uh, you carry the broadcast, my man. And he's, you know, six eight, and however many pounds. He's got broad shoulders. He can do it. <laughs> he can carry a, a lot of things. He carries the Blue Bomber podcast as well, Kelly. Hey, you know, uh, let's get to the game a little bit. The Blue Bombers will be without sure. Mo Leggett, their outstanding linebacker, shared the interception league 
with uh, TJ Heath, also a member of the Blue Bombers in the secondary last season in the Canadian Football League. The Travis Lule story is one that we've been talking about all week. What are one or two of the less obvious things we should be looking for tonight as we listen to the broadcast? Well, I think I don't know if they're less obvious, uh, but uh, I, I would say one of the keys, at least uh, as I see it, can the Bombers slow things down in terms of their pass defense? Because only Hamilton has given up more yards per game. By contrast, the Blue Bombers have pretty much shut down their opposition's running game, and Jeremiah Johnson is the second-leading rusher in the CFL. So do the Lions try to pick away a little bit at that, uh, at that scab, uh, if you will, of the, of the Bombers not being able to defend against the pass? Or do they stick with what they do well, and that's try to have a hybrid of Jeremiah Johnson's running and the passing of Travis Lule? I, I don't know you can read that much into what Lule did against Hamilton last week because uh, I think the Bombers will be a tougher defense to, to try to operate against. But you know, and, and then here's the other one too, guys. I mean, we uh, tend to take a look at, you know, Martise Jackson, the great uh, performance he had. And, of course, everybody's talking about Chris Rainey. Richie Hall earlier in the week said he thought Rainey was the difference maker in the Western semifinal loss last November. But when you look at the stats... The most dangerous kickoff returner in the Canadian Football League is Ryan Lankford. So that's going to be a, a good battle. And I think the kicking game is going to be interesting, too. Uh, Ty Long, the rookie who beat out Swayze Waters, uh, is leading the league in punting average. But Justin Medlock, when it comes to booting field goals, is in a class by himself. So who is going to gain the upper hand there? So those are a couple of things that I think we can take a look at that could very much uh, dictate the outcome of this football game. You mentioned Ryan Langford there and his touchdown off of the opening kickoff last week against Toronto, the first one since 2000 for the Blue Bombers on an opening game kickoff uh, uh, being returned for a touchdown. Those are the only points the Bombers have scored in the first quarter this season thus far. Yeah, and they haven't really manufactured a lot of offense in the fourth quarter either. They've tended to do a lot of their damage in the second and third quarters. And I know talking to Matt Nichols yesterday, he likes the idea of this team being more of a grinded out, uh, patient, uh, try to uh, control the ball type offense. Now with that in mind, the Bombers time of average time of possession through the first three games is under 29 minutes. So uh, that kind of belies that philosophy a little bit. Uh, but uh, I, I think that, you know, with Andrew Harris showing what he could do last week against Toronto, and I'm sure they're going to try to do the same thing uh, here tonight to try to keep that ball out of the, the hands of Lule as much as possible. Uh, it, I think that's going to be one of the things you can look for as well as Andrew Harris uh, factoring a lot in this football game. Kelly, uh, I understand that earlier this week the Bombers closed practice, and I'm curious to know, first of all, what does that even mean to those who are unfamiliar? And second, why is that even something that's worth noting? Well, because most of the practices, Brett, in the Canadian Football League are open to the public and the media, but every once in a while, and teams do have that right to close a practice when they see fit. The Bombers did it earlier this year, uh, the Thursday before that uh, Canada Day game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And, uh, and of course, they wound up winning that game. So if they win this one, then they're two for two when they have close practices. But basically what it means, guys, is that uh, 
nobody, it's like behind closed, it's like a behind closed doors meeting. Uh, no public and no media are allowed in. So that's why when it was announced that Mo Leggett was not going to be able to play in this game, it did come as quite a surprise because mm-hmm. uh, everybody had seen Leggett uh, in, in practice earlier in the week. But obviously we would not have known that uh, with the Wednesday close practice. So that, uh, in a nutshell, uh, is what it is. Eh? And I don't think there was any thought of uh, Wally Buono sending spies in from BC or anything else like that. It just teams do have that right to do that. And, and every once in a while, they want to work on some things that they want to keep tight to the best. Well, Kelly, we'll wish you the best of luck on the broadcast tonight. Uh, hopefully there are no butterflies. And I'm sure Doug will take good care of you in the broadcast booth tonight. 7 o'clock, our pregame coverage. And then just after 9, the kickoff here on 680 CGOB, the voice of the Blue Bombers, at least tonight. Kelly Moore joining yeah. us this afternoon on Mackling and McGarry, and, and maybe a special guest tonight, Cal? Yeah, for for and I want to make sure everybody knows, for one night only, this is a Hold the Fort special. Uh, Bob Irving is actually <laughs> going to join us on the pregame show, and uh, you can uh, rest assured, Knuckles will be back exactly where he's supposed to be next Thursday against the Montreal Alouettes. Thanks, Kelly. Get a good uh, pregame nap and a good meal, and we'll we'll catch up with you later on in the weekend. I can't believe Mike Gaiason weaved the magic that he did. I was all prepared to rag on you guys. Said, "Aha, no rooftop for you," and I'm sitting on the 18th floor <laughs> overlooking Stanley Park. But I guess I'll just have to settle for the split. Yeah, go uh, walk <laughs> the seawall, Kel. Talk to you soon, Kelly Moore, joining yeah. us uh, from Vancouver. Lotus Land, the left coast, whatever you call it. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful cities on the planet. The Bombers and the Lions. The Bombers have a tough time winning in Vancouver. We'll see how they do tonight. We'll take a break and we will update the weather forecast. And uh, Brent Fitz, we will replay part of the conversation that Jeff Courier and I had with uh, Fitzy, remembering the now late, uh, the always great Kenny Shields. It's Mackling and McGarry on this Friday afternoon from the Santa Lucia rooftop patio. The segment of Mackling and McGarry brought to you by Great West Life, a proud premier sponsor of the 2017 Canada Summer Games and presenting sponsor of the volunteer program. Visit 2017canadagames.ca and be a part of Great West Life's great moments at the Games. So as we all know by now, I think there aren't too many people tuning in that don't know that Kenny Shields, the front man of the legendary rock and roll band Streetheart, passed away earlier today 69 years old and he'd had some heart complications uh, earlier this year and and certainly had surgery and passed away at St. Boniface Hospital and one of the great musicians to come out of Winnipeg in the last couple of decades is Brent Fitz uh, an incredible drummer he has toured with some of the biggest acts on the planet including Slash and we caught up with Jeff Courier and I caught up with Brent Fitz earlier this morning in Nashville, Tennessee. I think it, it really just comes down to, um, you know, uh, 
as a kid myself from from the prairies in Winnipeg, and, and I had the, the the pleasure of working with Kenny, um, you know, in the '90s, um, and he was when I worked with him, he was uh, just an absolute mentor to me as a as a friend and almost like a, a musical father, and and um, and it was it was really Kenny who by not just playing in his band, but just his own experiences and, and the way he he sort of, he was actually the one that suggested to me, um, and he used to call me Charlie, by the way. I had a nickname, and Kenny always thought I was his, I was his Charlie Watts in his band. And to this day, every time I saw Kenny, he only referred to me as Charlie. Wow. And, um, that's that, that's and, about as high a compliment as you get. I mean, you know, Kenny is my Mick Jagger, and I think to a lot of people, he's he's so many. Um, like when I grew up as a kid in Winnipeg, I didn't know the difference between the Rolling Stones and Streetheart, mm-hmm. and those those bands from my hometown and in the prom, you know, like Kenny being from Saskatchewan, all those bands that I grew up listening to on the radio, and and all those bands to me, and nothing was uh, I didn't know the difference. So I grew up being just as influenced by Streetheart as the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. And it was Kenny who, um, you know, when I played in his band, I was, I was 23 years old and I played in a bunch of great local bands around town, but playing with Kenny, who was an icon and, and uh, like a national, you know, artist who had, you know, like Streetheart had, you know, their own records. And I didn't know what that was like because I didn't have my own records. So to play with somebody who had actually, you know, wrote their own music and, uh, you know, it, it sort of like changed the game for me as a, a musician. So all those things I learned from Kenny, which and and he taught me about the Beatles. I didn't know about the Beatles at 23 years old. I somehow missed um, that, and I saw how impactful you know John Lennon was to Kenny, and and then the Rolling Stones and all these other bands. And he basically gave me my education on a whole different level. It was like my parents gave me influence to play music, but Kenny gave me influence to be a real professional musician. And then I used his, I mean, he was the one that told me, Brent, you got it. Because I, I wanted to go to L.A. and I wanted to do some things outside of Winnipeg. And, and, uh, and he was the one that told me. And he said, Charlie, you have to go do it. You have to leave. And so I'm sitting here in Nashville. I'm going, well, yeah, I'm here doing music. And I've been, you know, 20 years now living in the States and playing all over the world with all these great artists. And it's because of Kenny. And, you know, so I'm just, I'm super reflective today on, on all this sitting here in Nashville going, you know, I can't believe the guy's gone. Fitzy, it's Greg Knackling here. And we grew up uh, in the same era. You were on the stage. I was staring at the stage and loving every minute of it. And on my Facebook today, I, I mentioned the fact that you could see Kenny and Minidosa at Classic Rock Weekend. I can remember chasing him down in Calgary on a road trip, yeah. making sure that I didn't miss him at a bar, the back alley in Calgary. Yeah. It was like parting yeah. away from home at yeah. home all at once, or whether it was at the A or dozens of shows elsewhere, there was yeah. something about seeing Kenny, something about seeing Streetheart that just, it was home, plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first time I saw Kenny in person live was I snuck into the zoo as an underage kid. And I'll never forget sitting there front row watching. It was the Kenny Shields band at the time. It wasn't Streetheart. It was Kenny with, you know, like Lou Petrovich and and uh, Billy Carmassi on drums. And, and uh, anyway, that 
They opened with A Day in the Life by the Beatles. It was hard to hold back the tears talking to Fitzy. I knew he'd been crying. Very important man to him, Brent Fitz. Uh, Todd Kearns, who we've had on the show, Age of Electric. Brett, they'll be in town. Part of their project, Tuke. They did a cover album. We were listening to it on the way here. Yeah. Of all the great rock and roll Canadian songs, ones that we grew up listening to either in the bar or maybe you're fortunate enough to see Aldenova, to see Harlequin, to see Chilliwack, to see Kim Mitchell. The list went on and on. And the last song on that disc is Action by Streetheart. And they will be here. Ironically enough, we were talking to Brent Fitz in Nashville. It'll be at Nashville's on Friday of the long weekend, August 4th. That's poetic for you. And uh, you can catch them there or at Harborfest in Kenora earlier that day. So they've got a really jam-packed schedule when they come back to Manitoba. So uh, that was uh, Brent Fitz. Thanks to him for sharing with us his memories of Kenny Shields. It's been a really tough day for me. I, I loved Kenny Shields. I love Winnipeg music, Canadian music. And I think it was Kenny Shields and Streetheart who really started it for me. I have to give a shout-out to my uncle Guy Dearman, who I used to... I used to take over his stereo when I would babysit his his son, my nephew Michael, or my cousin Michael, and uh, Drugstore Dancer was one of my favorite albums to play over and over and over again on those nights when I would be babysitting for my Uncle Guy and my Auntie Kathy. So, uh, great memories, so many tied to Kenny Shields and Streetheart. Coming up to the 130 News on 680 CJOB with Tristan Field-Jones. Mackling and McGarry continues after that from Santa Lucia on St. Mary's. As a dad, there are certain stories that touch my heart on a different level than others. It doesn't mean I'm heartless when it comes to things that don't involve kids, but obviously there's a heightened awareness for me and a heightened sensitivity. When we hear stories about parents that have lost their children and in the Winnipeg Free Press... Two days ago, Bill Redekop, who does an amazing job, I want to give Bill a shout-out for the coverage he gives to rural Manitoba and their stories. Uh, Bill wrote a story about Tony Delarock. Tony Delarock is Danica Delarock's mom. Danica tragically lost her life up in Churchill just over one year ago. And we began our conversation today by asking Tony to tell us about Danica. Um, Danica is my daughter, and she. Um, we were up in Churchill last summer, and uh, while I was at work, my husband had taken the kids out on uh, the canoe. Um, we had done this just the year before, all four of us in the canoe out on the river, and never once did I ever did it ever cross my mind that the water would be too cold. Um, and unfortunately, uh, for no good reason, the canoe did capsize and, um, the, they all fell in the water. Um, my husband used his incredible strength. I'm sure it was driven by adrenaline, but he is an incredibly, extremely strong man. And he lifted the canoe full of water, tipped it over and was able to get the kids out of, 
out of as much water as he could. Um, and he uh, tried to flag down um, some bystanders um, and they were able to get um, the um, Remy Allen from Sea North Tours to drive his boat to go and pick them up and get them to the ambulance. And then they were able to get them to the hospital. And the um, medical staff, there was about 12 of them in the room, um, performed CPR on the kids for several hours. And they were able to revive both kids, um, just uh, giving them oxygen, forced oxygen. Um, Danica did happen to uh, come to during this process. And uh, we were talking to her. She was acknowledging us. She understood what we were saying. Uh, we told her that we loved her. We told her to keep fighting. Um, the uh, medical staff had actually thought the opposite, that they thought that Connor was going to be the one who wasn't going to make it and Danica was going to be the one that made it. Um, after about an hour, um, Danica began to, began to crash and unfortunately she did pass. Um, they did perform another more than hour of CPR, but unfortunately they weren't able to revive her. Um, and then the um, air ambulance came and picked Connor up. And um, unfortunately, uh, they weren't able to take Danica. A medical examiner had to come and see them. And my, uh, while I was sitting there weeping over my daughter after Connor had left, because there was no room for us to go on the air ambulance, um, an RCMP officer sat with me and he he cried over Danica. He, he could see how it could happen. He had a, a five-year-old daughter himself. And, um, you know, just to, the emotion from the hospital themselves, there's such a small community. They don't see tragedy like this um, in, uh, you know, at Winnipeg, they would see much more tragedy all the time. This hospital is just small. I mean, there's only 800 um, residents up there. They don't see this kind of tragedy. So for them, the entire community has reached out to me and it's just been phenomenal. The support from those doctors and um, nurses, medical staff, the, they called in everybody that was not working and they all came in. Um, and the support that we've received from them, I mean, they saved Connor. And I mean, that's something that they need to, to needed to see. We did bring him back last year um, in the fall for them to, to be able to see this little boy running around and laughing and smiling. And, you know, it was very important for them to see that all their efforts were, was worth it. And, um, so this past year, we've been obviously mourning the loss of our daughter, but also celebrating the life of our son. And I know it sounds very conflicting, but I mean, it's it's the reality of what we have. And um, <clears throat> so from this, I've decided to uh, start doing stuff in Danica's honor. And originally, it just kind of started out as, you know, random pay it forward, buy somebody coffee in the Tim Hortons line or, you know, something like that, just... But then I decided that I wanted it to go much bigger. And um, I decided that the um, I was going to start out the Danica Village Fund. And our first initiative is to get some buddy benches in the local schools. 
I see that he, you, you you just mentioned Danica's Village Fund, and uh, the the logo that's going to be on the bench is "Find Your Village, Love Them Hard." Wondering what it is about the word "village" that uh, is important to you. Um, well, for me, um, right from the get go, as um, parents, we um, we relied on our village. Like it, it, they say, it takes a, a village to raise a child, and I truly believe it. Like. They, we had, you know, people helping uh, right from the time Danica was born, um, you know, throughout, throughout their little lives, you, you go through phases, um, you, it, you just rely on the community. I, I, I've had several um, members in our community just, you know, help out when we need it, and it's just been phenomenal. And as a parent, it, it helps you and it energizes you to, to keep going with your children and to to have, you know, the strength, you know, when you're exhausted. And um, so, yeah, we, we've adapted that mentality. And um, shortly after Danica passed, um, and when I mean shortly, I mean within hours, um, my online friends created um, fundraisers and they um, started with uh, the Find Your Village, Love Them Hard, um, mugs and t-shirts to sell as a fundraiser in order to uh, help us with the costs with the funeral and stuff. And so that was where the original Find Your Village, Love Them Hard um, logo had come from. And since then, um, as I started to, you know, want to do bigger, better things in Danica's name, um, I've had several people ask me where they can get a shirt or where they can get a mug. And so I kind of started with the um, adapting that and using that for the the platform to start raising some funds in addition to several contributions that we've received, uh, monetary contributions that we've received. And um, so that's where the Find Your Village, Love Them Hard originally originates from. That is Tony Delarock. She is the mother of a five-year-old girl named Danica who died last year, last July, on Churchill River, her canoe capsized while she was viewing beluga whales with her family. And now her mom is talking about her daughter's tragic death to help raise funds for Danica's village. This sort of stems from a conversation from an article in the Winnipeg Free Press a couple of days ago from Bill Redekop, who wrote about how, well, you can just look it up. The headline is Turning Tragedy into Help for Kids. And we will continue our conversation with Tony and learn more about the Buddy Bench after your forecast, which is coming up next. I'm Brett McGarry, along with Greg Mackling. As he said, Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary, the rooftop patio. The roof has been closed from the storm that we had earlier. Perhaps the patio will, the roof will be open once again. We are speaking with Tony Delarock as we talk about Danica's village. Danica, just over one year ago, passed away in a tragic accident on the Churchill River. Tony and her family and her entire community are honoring Danica's memory with this fundraising campaign and these buddy benches that she hopes to install around Manitoba. Tony, tell us about the buddy bench. Okay, so the buddy bench. Um, lots of people um, know that a buddy bench is uh, typically, um, it was originally started out, I believe, for anti-bullying. 
However, um, I want it to be more of a positive spin on things, so um, more of an all-inclusive. So when a child is playing and they don't have, they don't feel that they have anybody to play with, they would just go and sit on that bench and other kids would know to grab that kid and tell them to come play with them. And so that's um, actually, that's the exact way that Danica was as a little girl. She, no matter where we were, she always wanted kids to play And if there was ever a kid left out, she'd go and grab them and tell them to come play with her. And so that's where this um, is originating from. And so I just wanted to get these benches out into our community. This is the first initiative of Danica's Village. We we plan to do other things for kids in Danica's name, but um, obviously this this buddy bench is the first of many things that we hope to do in her name. The fact that your son, you were told that your the doctors expected that your son would not survive, he ends up surviving. Is that, uh, I guess, what was your reaction to that when the doctors say your son is likely not going to survive and then he does? Um, well, actually, uh, when they started to um, take Connor out of his medically induced coma, um, he began speaking 20 seconds and he wanted to get out of the bed right away and like the doctors were just amazed with the recovery he was able to go from complete intensive care to you know within hours already they were removing some of the um, medical apparatuses and um, the doctor who um, oversaw this he was the senior doctor there and he said that in his 25 plus year career that he has only ever seen the recovery of a child once in his lifetime, and it was nowhere near as good as Connor's. And he said, his words were, a miracle, uh, miracle is not a medical term. And I, I truly believe, like, he is a true miracle for him to have recovered the way he did. Just been amazing. The signs uh, that remind you of Danica must be everywhere. What, what was the last one that you can share with us? Um, the last one that I can share with you, uh, was, um, on the, well, the the one that sticks out the most, obviously, um, was on the day, the anniversary of her death. Um, I happened to be outside with Connor and, um, there was not a cloud in the sky and just, you know, Connor was off playing and I was crying and, you know, just remembering Danica and all the good things about her. And I just happened to look up and I kid you not, in the sky, there was a cloud in the shape of a heart. I took a picture of it. It is absolutely amazing that, you know, and I mean, the thing is, is if you believe in it, you'll see signs. And I I definitely believe in it. And I've seen many, many signs from her. And so, yeah, I just, I, I saw the cloud with the heart and it just, you know, her sending me love. How can we help? How can we get involved as a community? Um, there's a Facebook page set up for Danica's Village. And so anybody is welcome to join. Um, if anybody wishes to order a mug or a t-shirt, I'm putting the orders in this weekend. So um, any orders that come through, that would be great. Um, anybody who wishes to donate money to the cause, that would also be great. Um, currently, I have been accepting the money um, mailed to myself. Uh, I'm currently in the process of setting up a trust um, a formal trust agreement with a lawyer, and then that formal trust agreement goes to 
the bank where we will open up an account dedicated to Danica's Village. And after all of that is done, I'm hoping to apply through the federal government for charitable organization status in order to be able to issue receipts for um, donations received. Incredible uh, story you share with us. Uh, Our condolences. Uh, We appreciate the opportunity to remember Danica today, celebrate Connor and uh, all you're doing for the community, Tony. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tony Della Rock. She is the mother of five-year-old Danica who died last year, last July, in fact, July 13th, when her canoe capsized while she was viewing beluga whales. And at the time, it was believed that her, her brother, Connor, would would perish and she would survive, but it ended up being the other way around. The water temperature was five degrees Celsius and she died of hypothermia. So her mother, Tony, has uh, launched this initiative, Danica's Village, and is working on the Buddy Bench and the finished product. And again, you can see the uh, the article in the Winnipeg Free Press, Turning Tragedy into Help for Kids. And you can see the bench. It's uh, really, this is a really lovely uh, bench that uh, clearly a lot of uh, heart and soul has gone into it and it will have the logo that reads find your village love them hard and uh, I think this is a wonderful initiative if you'd like to learn more about this initiative uh, check it out on Facebook Danica's Village if you'd like to get connected with Tony that's the best way to do it if you'd like to uh, reach out uh, that's how we encourage you to do so and as soon as there's a website available we will certainly tell you about that here on Mackling and McGarry. Such a heartfelt story, such a difficult story to listen to. And and Tony, I know you're listening right now. Just an incredible remembrance and what you're doing for your daughter. I know we said it is is simply unreal in my mind. And to do this for other kids is uh, just indicative of the spirit that Danica must have had being raised by you and your husband. Uh, You're amazing parents and uh, Connor is a very lucky little boy. And uh, I also want to acknowledge the bravery that just to be able to come on and and speak to us so honestly and openly and I just can't really imagine and I don't want to, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm uh, condescending or anything, like a, like a cliche to say I just can't imagine, but I mean how can you imagine what what someone is feeling in that sort of a situation I just uh, it's such a tragedy so out of the tragedy comes this positive initiative and I uh, my hat is off an amazing gift in fact and I've stopped using that uh, phrase I couldn't imagine I say in my mind and out loud I can only imagine and hope to only ever have to imagine going through what the Della Rock family has been through. We'll take a pause. We'll update you on the Cottage Country forecast and wrap up the first hour of Mackling and McGarry. We're here live outside. Believe it or not, we are outside and we're loving every minute of it here at Santa Lucia Pizza. We're on St. Mary's Road just near the intersection at Goulet and Marion. For Interlake Real Estate, Manitoba's playground is the Interlake Interlake Real Estate is your full-time professional real estate sales team. Visit interlake.mb.ca for listings. For the Interlake, Grand Beach, and the White Shell for tonight, cloudy, there is a 60% chance of showers or thunderstorms and a low of 16. Cloudy tomorrow with a 60% chance of showers or thunderstorms. Northwest wind up to 40 kilometers an hour with a high of 22. And for Sunday, 
Looking better on Sunday. Sunny and 25. That's your Cottage Country forecast on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. We are live on the patio, the rooftop patio. It's Patio Palooza every Friday through the summer. We are here until the end of the month, Santa Lucia, St. Mary on the rooftop patio. They actually have the roof closed right now. Maybe it'll reopen by the time we leave. Should point out as well if you are heading out onto Highway 9, so that's Main Street for those leaving the city of Winnipeg. Lights, uh, as of a little while ago, were not working at Highway 27 and Highway 9, so just watch out for that. I actually have no idea where that is, but if you frequent Highway 9, there's a good chance you know where it is. <laughs> that's more important to you than it is to us, that's for gosh darn sure. <laughs> so thanks to the person who sent us this text at 204-780-6868. And Greg, uh, you booked a guest that I'm really excited about. This is somebody I used to go to school with. Well, you know what? I didn't know that at the time. I'd spoken to Chantel a couple of years ago when she was covering the Montreal Canadiens. She's a Winnipeg gal, lives in Montreal now. She's a sports broadcaster and a stand-up comedian. Chantel Desjardins joins us now. Chantel, thanks for joining Hello. us again on 680 CJOB. It is great to be back. So I always say that, you, you know, you can take the boy out of Winnipeg, but you can't take the Winnipeg out of the boy. Is that the same? Can you can you take the Chantel Desjardins out of Winnipeg and, and, and manage to take the Winnipeg out of the Chantel Desjardins? You can never take the Winnipeg out of someone when someone has spent time in Winnipeg. I have been trying to fit in in Montreal for the last decade, and I just stick out like a sore thumb, and I'm proud of every minute of it. So, Chantal, you and I went to school together at Red River College for uh, one year it in the creative magical. communications. It was It was really good for me. Well, was just refresh my memory, because you... You're talking about school, right? You joined us in the second... <laughs> yes, sadly, it was only school, Greg. Uh, so you joined my class in the second year. You weren't there for my first year. Where? What happened there? Where did you go? <laughs> yeah, where were you? Yeah. I actually took a year off because after my first year, I started working at Winnipeg Harvest, uh, just for like a summer job doing some marketing, and then I loved it. So I decided I would take the year off, and I worked for the food bank for a year, and then I came in and I met you, and the rest is history. So you, you, when you were in school, that's one of the things that everybody liked about you was how funny you are. Did you ever think oh, then, back you. in uh, the early 2000s, <laughs> mid-2000s, that you would end up being a stand-up comedian? No, zero amount. I just thought, I thought I'd have to get a real job like everyone else. And then uh, I came to Montreal and I was doing some, you know, TV and radio stuff. And uh, a guy named Joey Elias, who's one of my favorite comedians in town, he walked in. I was doing the morning show on Shome, uh, which is a rock station. And he said, you know what, whatever story you just told, that's funny. I bet the, that would go well on, on stage. And I had no interest in doing stand-up. And he's like, I'll tell you what, I teach a class. And I'm like, well, you can't teach funny. And he's like, come out, do one class. If you don't like it, I'll never bug you again. And I went out, and I just kind of, I liked it. Like, I, it was kind of, you know, kind of an adrenaline rush that I hadn't had before. And I did it for six weeks, and at the end, we did this friends and family night. And, you know, at the end of my story, three people came up and hired me to tell that at their corporate event. So, you, wow. you, did I hear you just say you can't teach funny? Do you believe that still, Chantel? Uh, you know what? I think I've kind of changed my tune on it. I still think you're either... I still think you you're you have the, the the nugget if you're funny or you're not, but I think you can teach kind of like the little skills and just feeling comfortable on a stage. Like the more I'm on a certain stage, the more I I'm comfortable and the more my, I can be I can be you know myself on it. Whereas if it's a brand new stage, I'm a bit nervous about you know where's the lights, where's the people, who am I looking at, you know? And you're not quite as good the first time. Whereas so if you teach this class and you go to a class, 
it just kind of gets you more comfortable with it. So I've changed my mind. Well, there there is a, some truth to what she's saying when she says you can't teach funny because there actually was, we had a comedy writing class in creative communications from Kenton Larson. <laughs> did. It was a great is class. He yeah, I, well, he's still at the college, I believe. I'm not sure if that's still a class. I'll have to ask him, but I didn't do very well in that class, Greg. But it was a great class. It was super fun, and there are still some lessons that I remember from Kenton. Uh, so I would imagine, Chantel, that maybe you can't teach funny, but you can at least teach people who are funny to harness and, their abilities to be yeah, even funnier. You know what? And you can teach You can teach kind of like it's, it's an, almost to a science. Like it's not just telling a story or telling a joke. A lot of clubs actually monitor laughs per minute when it comes to comics, uh, oh, which my. I had no idea about before. Yeah, so it's all about trying to get a laugh, say, every, you know, I don't know what it is. Like I, I try to get a laugh every 10 to 15 seconds. And even if it's like I tell a story and then, you know, you just you just add in a little punchline. Even if you, you normally wouldn't get a laugh by then, you would, it would be a longer setup. I always try to get a little laugh throughout the whole, throughout the whole set. Because I'm a, there's joke tellers and there's storytellers, and I just tell inappropriate stories about my dating life. And I try to sprinkle them with a bunch of inappropriate laughs, and it worked out so far. So I me- you mentioned off the top as well, you, you uh, your first story that you kind of tried out on a group had to do with your family. Does your family appreciate your humor, and and do you have family that come out to your shows? Uh, well, I do a lot of material on my mom, uh, and so <laughs> she calls. <laughs> She'll call, and she'll try to offer stories, which, like, the stories I want to tell about my mom are not the stories that she, she'll say, like, oh, do you remember that time that we baked those cookies? That was really funny. And I'm like, oh, God, this is the worst. Um, but I try to appease her. So the last time I was at Rumors, actually, in Winnipeg, and she's like, tell a story about me. So I told the story about when I was little and we didn't have a ton of money and a little birthday party. And she went outside and she duct taped garbage bags to the front lawn because we didn't have a, a slip and slide. And she <laughs> took some dish detergent and she sprinkled that on it. And we only had like four feet by four feet. And so it wasn't enough room to run. So she held open the front door and all the birthday party, we all had to start in the living room through the house off the front step and head first. And then you had like point two skin enjoy the ride and roll off to the side or you would bite the sidewalk at the end of the slip and slide. And everybody's laughing and it's a funny story. Then I go, mom, and she's crying in the audience. She's like, we've just been through so much together. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's great. She's not allowed to come to my shows. <laughs> Oh wow! Well, you mentioned you mentioned the, the the inappropriate dating stories. So I'm wondering, is it bad to be a suitor of yours to yes. to risk being part of your routine? I date somebody, I tell them there's a chance this is on stage. Just so you know, like I don't make them a waiver, but pretty well. Like that, they, they and, and a couple guys that I have dated, their stories have ended up on stage, and I kind of look for them in the audience and think I haven't seen any of them yet. Um, well, so we have, before we let you go, Chantel, we had somebody text us, uh, one of our loyal listeners. Her name is Kristen, and she found out that we were interviewing you, Chantel Desjardins, and she says, you guys are interviewing Chantel later? She was one of my very best friends growing up, and I had to miss her last show here for a work thing. She works at the zoo. Yeah, Kristen Reinish. That's awesome. So she just wanted to say hello. And, uh, that is so nice. She is. Uh, yeah, she's funny. begging us to make you promise that you're coming back home for a show soon. 
<laughs> well, you never know. I'll be back home this summer, so I might do another one. And I just did New York, actually. And New York's such a magical place because I was doing a, just an opening set, and then the owner of the club said, oh, by the way, uh, we're going to have a special guest. And who comes in but Jim Gaffigan comes on the stage. So technically, I opened for Jim Gaffigan. Like, Jim Gaffigan didn't know who I was before that, and it's not like I'm going on the road with him or anything, but... You just never know who's going to be there. And, like, Seinfeld apparently showed up at Gotham the day before. So if I would have done it the day before, I could have said it opened for Seinfeld. Well, you know what? We don't want to get rid of you here, Chantel. We want to hear some more stories. We were just having a little bit of a technical issue with your phone line. It seems to have cleared oh. itself up. So we were going to maybe just take a break and, and get you to reestablish our, our contact. But I think we're good. So talk about that, that you know, hobnobbing with uh, Gaffigan and this uh, routine that you're doing now. And, and how are you sharing it and, and spending time in New York and, and just getting out there? That That's really the key, isn't it? Yeah, well, just really in New York is such an interesting uh, place because everything can lead to something else. Like, this, this guy that opens for you, he says, oh, you know what? Like, I, I opened, I, I did a show uh, and I met this guy named Will Sylvan who opens for Dave Chappelle. And suddenly I'm at the Comedy Cellar and there's Michael Che from Saturday Night Live and, and Judd Apatow and Amy Schumer was there and Jennifer Lawrence. Like, it's just like, it's like out of a movie, but you're you're sitting there with these people, and it was just like you never know what can happen. Like right now, no. <laughs> <laughs> right now, she just jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge. No, are you still yeah. there, Chantel? I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, we missed we missed the last we missed the punchline. The timing oh, no. was perfect, yeah. though. It was perfect because right now, and then you went blank. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have this. Uh, I'm on the top of a mountain in Montreal right now, which maybe is the, the reason for that. But it's just all that to say, in New York, anything could happen, and it usually does. So you say you are coming home at some point this I summer? I am coming home. Yep. Yeah. Well, so maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll try to set up a show. Yeah, you have, have to come visit us too when you come back. Yeah, come visit us yeah, in the sure. studio, well, and, then, and then, then we don't have to worry about the quality of your phone line. You can just sit I down know. with us. I know. You know what? I need a new phone. <laughs> well, how about this? We'll, we'll make arrangements for you to come visit us on a Friday, and then we can feed you as well. How's that for a deal? Santa I Lucia. love food. Yeah. Okay. Let's right. do that. Okay. I think this is on the air. You understand this is now a contract. <laughs> is that how it works? That's how it works. Anyway, we'll be in touch, Chantel. <laughs> this is fantastic stuff. What's next for you in the next week or so? Uh, so I've got five shows. It's just for last year in Montreal right now. So I've got uh, five shows coming up this week. And uh, I'm still doing a bit of radio stuff, so I'm filling in on a morning show for a couple days. And then, and then we'll see. Probably back to New York, actually. Fantastic. Basically, you don't sleep. I don't sleep. No, I definitely, at some point, I should get a real job. Maybe become an accountant, except I can't count. But in the meantime, it's a hell of a ride. Well, Chantel, hey, listen, congratulations as uh, one of your former classmates. It's great to see uh, you doing so well. You know, I, I started when I saw you on TV, I thought that was cool and saw all the radio stuff. And now you're doing your uh, comedy. And by the way, for you listening to this radio station, if you want to see some of Chantel's comedy, just punch in Chantel Desjardins on YouTube and you'll find, I think there's like 78 videos on your channel. There's all sorts yeah. of stuff. So. Good job. Well, one of the, well, thanks very much. It's been uh, it's been fun, and I look forward to more stories. Just don't date me, or it'll end up on stage. So, <laughs> hey, my life is a, is a comedy of errors anyway. So uh, I, I would I think I, I would welcome that. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> the challenge extended and accepted. Uh, Chantel, right. we look Great. forward to seeing you when you're in town. Thanks so much for taking some okay. time out of your incredibly busy schedule. Enjoy just for laughs. What a magical time to be in Montreal. 
Yeah, it's great. It's great. Thanks so much, guys. Take care, Chantel. Chantel Desjardins, Winnipegger, proud Winnipegger. She lives in Montreal now. She is plying her trade as a comedian and also as a broadcaster. She's so awesome. Yeah, she was great. Uh, like I said, when that's what the, the 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 thing that stood about about stood out about her the most, other than the fact that she was great at sports. Whenever we did our our broadcast news, our broadcast journalism class, she was the sports anchor. But uh, everybody like she was the funniest person in class, and so the fact that she is now a stand-up comedian just seems like the natural progression of her career. So it'll be good uh, to see her if she comes back. We got to. We have to do what we need to do to get her back in studio. I agree with you 100%. You can follow her on Twitter, at Chantel, C-H-A-N-T-A-L, on air. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you from Santa Lucia. We're on the rooftop patio enjoying. It's actually quite refreshing up here right now. Yeah. A little bit cool. It smells fantastic after this rain. We would love to see you down here. Come on down. Say hello. Grab some pizza. The best pizza around. Can they still enter to win? Tab? Oh, yes, they can. How do they do that? CJOB.com. You can enter to win a $100 tab for the rooftop patio here at Santa Lucia St. Mary. All you got to do is just go to CJOB.com. We understand a lot of people have thrown their name in already for that. So get your name in, CJOB.com. In the meantime, your forecast is coming up next. It's brought to you by Polo Park Hearing Center, your locally owned family-run hearing specialist. Conveniently located in the lower level at Polo Park. Cloudy with showers and thunderstorms likely tonight. Risk of a severe thunderstorm overnight, low of 17. Tomorrow showers with the risk of a thunderstorm and a high of 23. Sunday calling for a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 25. And if you are in southwestern and south-central Manitoba, you are currently under a severe thunderstorm watch, not including the city of Winnipeg. Right now it's little cool, but not too bad at all. 20 degrees at 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry, Greg Macklin, we are live on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary, just where sort of St. Mary meets Marion and Goulet. The roof has been closed. Maybe they'll reopen it if the sun decides to revisit us. Come on down here and say hello. And then maybe tonight... If there is more rain and you want to look, do something indoors, well, there are three new movies out this weekend. The first is the Christopher Nolan World War II movie, Dunkirk. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. Dunkirk is about the evacuation at Dunkirk, with hundreds of thousands of Allied troops trapped on a beach, sitting ducks for German planes buzzing overhead from time to time, just waiting to pick them off. The evacuation effort ended up calling upon civilian vessels to help bring the men back. Where are we going? Dunkirk. I'm not going back. There's no hiding from this sun. We have a job to do. If we go there, we'll die. It's only an hour and 45 minutes, so it's a quick film, and it is a technical masterpiece. Incredible visuals, incredible sound. It all puts you right in the middle of the terrifying ordeal that is war. 
Nolan unfortunately engages in his usual narrative trickery, i.e. he does not always tell a linear story, and in this case, it ends up being a distraction. It's still an excellent film, though, and an uplifting one, showcasing an incredible moment in our world's history. Four couch cushions out of five for Dunkirk. You can practically see it from here. What? Home. Let's move on to the next one. Welcome to Alpha. The city of a thousand planets. It's a film based on a French comic book that debuted in the 1960s, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Where for hundreds of years, every species has shared their knowledge and their intelligence with each other. It's paradise. It's being hailed as the most expensive French movie ever made at 197 million euros, or 225 million US, or 292 million Canadian. It's getting ho-hum reviews, but as far as visuals are concerned, this looks like this could be the spectacle of the summer in 3D, but again, the story does not appear to match the style. Agents Valerian and Laureline, you have less than 10 hours to find the threat and eliminate it. One more to tell you about, the raunchy comedy, Girls Trip. We haven't hung in five years. I miss you guys. We need a girls trip. This one starring Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett Smith is about a group of four friends who go to New Orleans to get lit up. It's getting solid reviews and it looks hilarious. Heavenly Father. I want to thank you for this day of life. My heart is so full of joy for these women right here. Lord, please make sure that Lisa don't get an STD and that nobody has kidney failure because we finna get messed up and let me get pregnant by somebody rich. That's all I ask. Amen. Two hours. That's so crazy. That's actually one of the reasons why I stayed because I went to do the intro. Yeah. You know the, the, how they have radio people come out and say hello and and I never have prizes to give away. I actually had a prize to give away this time, but uh, I just decided to stay. The stars aligned for you. My I friend. said to the Warner Brothers rep who was there, I said, "Do you got any space left? I don't. I kind of want to stay. It's only two hours. What the heck? I'll stay." So it's uh, it really is a solid movie. Other than the narrative stuff I was talking about, it really is technically speaking amazing. It's truly a big screen, a must see big screen experience. Well, so. if if uh, Saturday tomorrow turns out to be as lousy as it looks it might be an opportunity to go and see a couple movies all at once tomorrow sounds like a plan and he's here three weeks we've gone without seeing our pal dr cyrus he has at last returned to us and we're going to talk about revenge after global news at 2:30, which is up next 2:33 on this friday afternoon it's not quite the weekend but as I like to say, you can see it from here. We are kind of kicking off the weekend early as we do every Friday. It's the Pizza Palooza, the Patio Palooza, however you want to lose it. This is the place to be. It's a little chilly right now, but there are folks up here on the covered patio, rooftop patio, St. Mary's Road, San Lucia Pizza. And if you'd like to join us next week, go to cgob.com because we have a $100 tab, a $100 gift 
certificate up for grabs. And uh, we know a lot of you have entered for this. Actually, we're kind of overwhelmed by the number of people who have entered for this. But don't let that stop you. Go to cgob.com and then uh, click down the last tab on your right and look for the contest page and enter to win there because we'd love to see you down here. We love meeting our listeners. It's uh, it's uh, It really brightens our day, actually. And speaking of brightening our day... It's Friday. It's 2.30. It's He's time distracted. For you our see that? He's distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Cyrus is here. What? Clinical oh, psychologist right. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. His website, drcyrus.com. He has at last joined us on the patio. He's been sort of down for the count, so to speak, for the last few weeks with various illnesses. I think he had uh, uh, strep throat and pink eye and scurvy in there i don't know uh, maybe don't, not the last i don't one. want to talk about it okay <laughs> no but he's here and he's good so scurvy. right now <laughs> can you still get that well probably if you don't have enough vitamin c <laughs> you just eat steak every meal i'm sure you'll figure it out yeah I'll, i'm willing to give it a try actually yeah that <laughs> eating steak that. every time doesn't yep. sound like a bad thing to do nope Right now we want to talk about the psychology of revenge. We found this article on a website, Psychology Today, and it's written by somebody named Peg Streep, and I just want to read a couple of paragraphs on the psychology of revenge and vengeful people. My mother, with whom I went no contact three years ago, has waged an outright war against me. Never mind that what she says about me is packed with lies and exaggeration. She seems committed to ruining my life and reputation. She's managed to win my siblings over to her side, but that doesn't seem to be enough. She's even taken to social media, and she's 66. What makes someone that motivated to hurt someone? We're seven years post-divorce, and it never stops. I've remarried. And he's living with someone in what appears to be a committed relationship. But I swear, he wakes up every morning. And the first thought that comes to his mind is how he can somehow make me pay. He drags me into court every chance he can. Does this make him happy? What would motivate him to hurt me and our children in this way? And then the next paragraph says, Apart from a few saintly types, most of us have, for a few minutes, or perhaps longer, fantasized about playing tit-for-tat, wreaking revenge on someone who has wronged, hurt, or betrayed us deliberately. And that's where I will stop reading and say hello to Dr. Cyrus. So right there, Dr. Cyrus, we had a couple of examples of, I think, what would be sort of the common vengeful behaviors. You had problems within the family, and then problems between ex-spouses. So is this the kind of thing that uh, you see in your practice from time to time? Well, I see it all the time uh, because I do work with couples and couples seem to be have the corner on this market. And I think the although I do see it with in-laws, I mean, those two examples, I think, were very applicable. I see it with families sometimes. Uh, I see it, uh, you know, with in-laws. But just the the most common predictable time that you find it is with couples who are in a divorce or separation or custody battle of some kind and and there does seem to be this kind of vindictiveness this revenge uh this desire to cause pain or or you know at at the very least look out for your own interests without regard for others 
So what is it about this uh, the spite that people like to uh, throw at one another when they've been hurt? Does it make us feel better somehow? You know, you quite often go into the the physiology of the yeah. entire thing. Is there something that helps us make us helps make us feel better when we are being nasty to someone that that we feel has crossed us in the past? You know, it's a bit of a complicated. Uh, answer to that question i think people are still trying to figure that out to some degree um when they have uh, people who are actually getting revenge you know like in some it was an interesting research that was done with economics uh, where they had uh, people who were kind of supposed to all invest in some kind of project and then there was a free rider built into the experiment one person who didn't invest and they kind of get more money by the rules of the game if they don't invest. So they kind of made money off of everybody in an unfair kind of feeling way. And everybody was given this opportunity to get financial revenge against this free rider. And everybody in these experiments takes that opportunity, it seems like. There aren't as many saintly types out there as we expect. And those people uh, reportedly felt, they felt worse. They felt worse by taking revenge. But they said, it was funny, they still believed that they would have felt even worse if they hadn't taken revenge. So there's this kind of feeling worse, but it's kind of like the better of two options. So even when you feel worse after revenge, people still believe that it's the better option. And there's other research, though, that kind of suggests that under certain circumstances you do feel better. And so it's a little bit kind of mixed. It's a bit tough to figure out. Uh, exactly whether it's kind of a feel-better or feel-worse situation. Uh, and by the way, you might be hearing some noise in the background. That's the, the flaps of the, the closed roof here at the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia, St. Mary. It's kind of, we had the storm blow through, and now the wind has followed the storm, and it's windy, but it's still a nice day to sit on the patio, so come join us. Now, you're talking about what you just said there, Dr. Cyrus, about revenge making people feel better. Is revenge often sort of the same thing as justice mm. for a lot of people? I think that justice is very, very similar to revenge, and most people think of it being the same thing. And I kind of tend to agree, because I think that when you try to separate them, it kind of gets a little, I don't know, it, it kind of feels a little fake. But I think, generally speaking, you know, getting justice is a bit more organized, it's a little bit more on the table, it's a bit more accepted by society. But generally speaking, it's, you know, uh, kind of still a very similar punishment orientation for something. So, and, and you know, generally speaking, if people are aware and accepting, um, like if you're, if you're getting revenge or if you're seeking justice against somebody and that person knows that you've taken revenge and why you've taken revenge, it seems to be more satisfying. And that's what happens in a more justice-oriented situation when you've got a court system and they're getting punished and they know why they're getting punished rather than just kind of, I don't know, going out to your car and having your, your tires flattened and not knowing why it happened. That doesn't seem to satisfy the revenge taker as much. So th there can't be any anonymity. It's like, if I'm <laughs> going to do this, whoever I do this to is going to know who did it. And, and, and they got to know why. So does this... So Maybe this lends into the psychosis of, you know, these uh, criminals that, that like to leave little clues behind mm. about, you know, yeah. yeah, it was me that did it. I'm not going to sign it, but I'm going <laughs> to give you just a little bit of a nugget that if you pay attention, you're going to yeah. know, you're going to know it was me. Yeah. And when I hear it on the news, 
I'm going to know yeah. that they're talking about me. You can't prove that it was me, but you know that it was me mm -hmm. in some kind of All subtle relational right? way. Yeah, yeah, I've left my signature. Now, what about the flip side of revenge and that satisfaction that people get? And I apologize if I'm throwing this at you from left field. I, mm -hmm. I like to do that from time to time. <laughs> this idea that if people do get that satisfaction from from extolling and, and spending mm -hmm. revenge on mm -hmm. others, what about those that take the high road mm -hmm. and those that, that maybe believe that they they have to uh, forgive and forget mm -hmm. how, do, how do we co how do we contrast that and how do we know that that's effective for them do we have any proof that that can be effective I think that the benefit of forgiveness over justice or over revenge is that it's more predictable, I think. I think when you get into revenge, you get this, like, feels worse for people. They still feel, believe that it was better than the alternative. It feels better for it satisfying sometimes for some people in certain circumstances. It's kind of like, I believe I'm going to go to court and I'm going to be satisfied, but 90% of the time it doesn't quite work out that way. It usually makes you feel worse. Like, this justice-revenge thing generally is complicated and... I don't know, in my practice, I almost never see anybody satisfied with anything uh, that's kind of revenge or justice oriented. It just doesn't seem to happen. Um, maybe under very controlled, you know, lab circumstances, you can sometimes make it work, but it's really tough. On the other hand, when I actually have people who are willing and able to, you know, engage in forgiveness, it's way more predictable. And I think the research is more predictable. It doesn't require as many caveats or complicated scenarios. People who forgive, generally there's a chemical in your brain very similar to a, a painkiller that is released. It's kind of like a natural, you know, a natural painkiller that just happens in your brain if you forgive and, and people feel better. And, and the research bears that out to a large extent that if you, if you don't take revenge, uh, you categorically feel good about it. And it's not as, you know, it, it's, not, it's much more in your own control. It's not as guided by circumstance. We're going to continue our chat with Dr. Cyrus in a moment. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is our guest. We visit with him every Friday at 2.30. He is a clinical psychologist, and you can get more information on him at drcyrus.com. We are talking about the psychology of revenge and vengeful people, and we will carry on with this chat. And just before we do that, have you noticed how comfortable Dr. Cyrus looks right now? Yes. Is this how you sit when you have people in session? You got your leg crossed, your notepad on your leg. Yep. You yep. guys are in session. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I could tell Dr. Cyrus just about anything right now. Yeah. He looks like he looks more comfortable right now. He's in his element. So, okay. Um, we're going to continue our chat after your forecast, which is up next. It is brought to you by Great West Life, a proud premier sponsor of the 2017 Canada Summer Games and presenting sponsor of the volunteer program. Visit 2017canadagames.ca and be part of Great West Life's great moments at the Games. We are under a severe thunderstorm watch in southwestern and south central Manitoba, not including the city of Winnipeg. That doesn't mean we're off the hook. Cloudy with showers and thunderstorms tonight. Risk of a severe thunderstorm overnight in a low of 17 degrees. Tomorrow the showers continue and the risk of a thunderstorm high 23 degrees. Sunday looking a little better. Mix of sun and cloud and a high of 25. Right now, 21 degrees at 680. CJOB. Coming up to 2.49 on this Friday afternoon. We're on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia, St. Mary's Road, and Marion. Come on down and say hi. It's an excuse to 
skip out of work a little bit early on this Friday afternoon. Join us for our patio slash pizza palooza. Please don't take vengeance upon us, though. We are talking about revenge and talking about why revenge feels so good, why it sometimes doesn't feel good. And, Brett, I think we want to tread carefully with this next part of the discussion. We wanted to ask Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, which gender is more vengeful? Is there a difference? Well, I don't know if I should be the first one to answer this question. We were having a discussion about this before on what you guys thought before I answered. I said nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're Okay. <laughs> I'll get you for that later. <laughs> no, no. I, I did make a prediction. Okay, and, you made and a I, prediction? And I, and I didn't think it would even be all that close. <laughs> okay. If there are percentages involved here. <laughs> Well, I think I don't. I can't really say for sure, but I can. I can talk about it. The there was a uh, you know something that was done. They were looking at the pleasure part of the brain and watching people kind of suffering uh, who had been a cheater in a game that these people had played in. And when they were watching men's brain, the pleasure center kind of took off. And uh, for women, it wasn't as much, and they had more of an empathy, even though these people had cheated them. So men really do kind of have an uphill battle sometimes, I think, when it comes to kind of working with revenge because they do get this, not necessarily long-term, but they do get an immediate shot in the arm of a good feeling when it happens and when they're and, and perhaps when they get to witness it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and I wonder because, and I don't know if this is the same thing, but I know that, for example, when if I'm getting into a, an argument with somebody and mm -hmm. it's it's a vicious argument mm -hmm. usually what will happen is the gloves come off mm -hmm. and then I, I will say whatever mean things I can think of and I will enjoy it <laughs> in that that moment yeah. and then I'll feel instantly bad right and wanna just I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry right uh, whereas and I don't is that the same kind of thing well I think if we were looking at your brain during that kind of watching that person suffer who you're upset with you might have that pleasure part of your brain uh, you know kind of taken off however in the long term you know I, I don't have research kind of saying that women do more revenge but I do know that women are the ones who normally initiate divorce a little bit more so there is maybe this kind of a little bit they do kind of instate their own justice at times more often than men do but you've said in the past, and correct me if I've understood this incorrectly, that although women do initiate divorce proceedings uh, more often, mm -hmm. the chances of them changing their mind is oh. also less likely. Like when women decide that right. it's over, it's over. <laughs> you know, and when guys, uh, perhaps there is a chance that guys will change their mind based on... Uh, on uh, some sort of uh, change within the relationship that it's still open for discussion when a guy says that's it I'm out of here right but with the with women when they've decided it's done it's done typically you know I don't remember the research around that but I it's bringing up a lot of clinical experiences that's for sure like there's a lot of couples that will come in and they will talk about like we're about ready to divorce we're da 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 and there's there's some times when I om I just kind of move forward as if they haven't said it because it's just kind of part of the way they speak and part of the way that they manage each other, and so sometimes it's actually pretty hard to tell. I mean, you got to take it seriously on some level, but it can be challenging to tell when it's actually a a real decision and when it's kind of just part of a desperate desire to save the relationship and uh, kind of a desire to get the other person motivated to change and help the relationship. So I actually. 
it's it can be you know a couple you know sometimes guys come in and they're like is she serious and I'm like ah you know but we got to kind of keep moving forward we'll have to watch and see because she hasn't completely rejected you and but she's talking about separation a whole lot here so you know but you got to keep hope because she's got some behaviors there that look like she's still interested so it's that's tricky that's really challenging so if there is a couple that is locked in a bitter divorce they're they're each taking shots at each other, trying to ruin each other's lives. Mm -hmm. How can a couple in that situation kind of break out of that cycle of, of vengeance? Out of vengeance. Well, I think that it's a, it's a tough question and it's a bit unique for every couple. And, and sometimes it just doesn't seem to be possible. But I think for, uh, you know, couples when they're arguing, one thing that can, that can often happen is... Uh, couples are in this vengeful cycle and they actually agree and I find that maybe I'll just talk about that instance because it's just so interesting and it's so frequent uh, couples will come in they'll talk I'll listen to both sides and then I'll sit back and I'll kind of reflect on what they're saying and I'll say you know what I think or I bet that you both actually agree about this issue and they both sit back and reflect a little bit and they're like I think we do and it's kind of surprising to them if I if we could just kind of cut through the communication and cut through the way that they speak to each other or the timing on which they speak to each other and how they process decisions, they actually agree. So sometimes it's just a matter of uh, kind of uh, forgetting about how they're actually talking and, and, and help them to get to the actual place where, you know, this is what I, I think you both want. And they both say, yeah. And it's like, okay, good. You know, and, and, it, and sometimes it can actually be pretty simple. Are there people who are more likely to be vengeful like maybe personality traits that indicate you know, this is uh like greg's more likely than i am or vice versa well we could talk about that later but i think that <laughs> 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 i mean first of all let's say you know narcissists are more likely to be uh re revenge oriented but that might be a little too obvious to be interesting i think that more interestingly anxious people are more likely to be uh revenge oriented and 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 one thing that's been interesting is i've kind of delved into anxiety and kind of understood it more is that anxiety and anger kind of hold hands they're very close to each other and uh, the ability to manage your own anxiety and the middle and the ability to manage uh, your anger are often both compromised because you're just in so much pain I don't know if you've ever been punched in the soldier shoulder or hit by a cupboard or something usually the instant feeling when somebody has hurt you is anger and for anxiety is very close to anger so if you do something that makes somebody anxious they're very quick to usually to become angry and anger is associated with revenge so there it's there drcyrus.com is the website his name is dr cyrus dirksen he is a clinical psychologist and we've been talking today about the psychology of revenge and vengeful people dr cyrus glad you're on the mend and you're back with us and we'll have you back here next friday at 2 30 on 680 cjob hey stop laughing too much fun at work. No. Okay. I like to laugh. That's why I got a job here and not uh, in some office. I once visited a friend, and this is not, I don't i don't mean this as a knock against anybody who works in an office environment, but uh, I felt like I'd walked into a prison. It was, so, it was very quiet, and everything was white. The cubicles were all white. It just, you could hear a pin drop, and I thought... Yep, that's uh, this not is not going to work for me. This is not the environment for me. But uh, you know, and again, that's not a knock on anybody. That is uh, that is a knock, I think, on me that I simply don't have the ability to to work in a a functioning environment. I need to work in a controlled chaos that is the radio station. Well, where else can you visit with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen 
Chantel Desjardins, Brent Fitz. Talk about Kenny Shields for half your day at work and the, and his passing and all the other things we get to do every day. Oh, and do it outside. Yeah, no, this is like, uh, remember when it used to get hot in June and the teachers were trying to keep you occupied and stop you from driving them crazy? <laughs> You'd have classes outdoors? Yep. This is the same thing because I think all of our co-workers conspired to make this pizza patio palooza thing happen. You got to get Mackling and McGarry out of here at least once a week. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they say they're jealous of us, but I think they made it happen. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I suspect. <laughs> hey, we don't like to talk about blizzards or, or winter or anything like that. Uh, although somebody posted, and oh, I can't believe you did this, uh, posted a picture of a bunch of snow-covered cars in a, in a shopping mall parking lot. Only 17 weeks until this. Oh, yeah. That's a long time. I don't know why you want to do that. Hey, you can experience a blizzard of a different kind this weekend. And Winnipeg has been kind of starving for sports championships. The Jets last won a championship in 1978-79, Avco Cup. The Blue Bombers in 1990. The Gold Eyes won last year. And the team that we're going to talk about now also won last year. They are the defending Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League champions, the Manitoba Blizzard. And we've got their head coach and general manager joining us now. And Trevor, I apologize, you and I have never met, but I believe it's Anyon. Is that how I say your last name? That's right. You got it perfectly. Hey, well, welcome to the program. And I apologize we've never had you on before. Congratulations on last year's championship. And talk about what's going on this weekend. Thank you very much. Yes, we finished our most recent campaign in first place, and then so we started the playoffs this weekend. We have a team from Saskatoon coming in, the Saskatchewan SWAT, who will be playing uh, two games at Notre Dame Arena, St. Boniface, to start the playoffs. So lacrosse, for those who don't know, lacrosse is, in fact, one of Canada's national pastimes, is it not? Or national sports? Yeah, uh, the status officially is it is Canada's official summer sport. So why why do you think that uh, hockey is is king and lacrosse doesn't get as much uh, attention as uh, our friends on skates? Well, I would think like a lot of sports, there's not a uh, there's not a professional league, there's not a real end game for lacrosse, so to speak. So hockey has grown and prospered because uh, folks dream of playing in the NHL and playing for the Jets or whatever their favorite team may be. Lacrosse is a sport that you play more as a, a labor of love, really, than for fame, stardom, and riches, that's for certain. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League, if you don't mind, Trevor. Yeah, the, uh, the Rocky Mountain League is actually based out of Alberta, and uh, it's a 12-team league, and 10 of those teams reside in Alberta. The outliers are our Manitoba Blizzard and the Saskatchewan SWAT are the, are the two teams outside their province. So, um, yeah, fun league, certainly. Extensive travel, though, and uh, hard on the budget and, and the time commitment for our players and their families. Do you have to drive or do you fly? We, we drive. It, it is minor sport, so, you know, there, there is a big budget, but... Um, we try to minimize costs as much as possible. So long rides on buses. How many games in a season? We play a 20-game regular season schedule. So that's so a long time. We'll t- it'll, it'll be split evenly, so we play 10 at home here 
at the Notre Dame Arena and then 10 on the road. So how angry are your Al- Alberta cohorts that it's Saskatchewan, the one Saskatchewan team, and the one Manitoba team squaring off for the championship? <laughs> well, they're not happy. Uh, we're not at the championship yet. This is the first round of playoffs. Okay. But, uh, uh, but you make a great point. Uh, two years ago, it was Manitoba and Saskatchewan in the final, and Saskatchewan won. And then last year, um, it was us versus a Calgary team, the Calgary Children. We won. So it's been a couple of years since an Alberta team has won their own league, and they're getting quite grumpy about it. Now, Saskatoon has done uh, quite well on the National Lacrosse League uh, uh, totem pole as well. In fact, I think they won the league championship last year. They may have been knocked out of the playoffs this year. The NLL is something that I know whispers have taken place about it maybe coming to Winnipeg at some point. Tell people why they should not worry about the NLL coming and coming to check out uh, this weekend's action and where they can do so, Trevor. You bet. Well, certainly the NLL is, um, is is a wonderful extension of our sport, and and I believe it's uh, one of the reasons Saskatchewan, our neighbor, is thriving. Um, kids see the pros, see them on TV, then they want to play. So it really spikes participation. However, um, we don't have that yet here in Manitoba. So uh, the, the the top level of the game you're going to get is in fact our Manitoba Blizz, and. Uh, bunch of motivated athletes that are extremely high caliber and dedicated boys um, some guys that are scholarship athletes in the United States playing this sport and um, there's not a faster grittier game and uh, it's, it's the best bang for your buck quite frankly in terms of uh, sport entertainment well you're I, I have played uh, lacrosse I played one season of organized lacrosse when I think I was around 12 years old uh, but that's what that's the was the takeaway that it was definitely fast too fast for me that's why I only ended up playing one year because I stunk at it uh, I didn't sign myself up for it but I'm glad I did it was a, a great experience and a unique sport and I would imagine as well is it is it fair to say that in terms of equipment cost that it is a cheaper sport for families wanting to get their kids involved in sport? Um, it's certainly, well, it is cheaper at the minor level, at the, the, the younger kids' level, than hockey. You know, hockey skates and, and, and things can be, much, uh, can be more expensive. Um, typically in the summertime, of course, renting the arenas. We play in the hockey arenas, and, uh, you know, it, it's cheaper just logistically an hourly rate is cheaper when there's no ice than when there's the ice plant in um it's but it's not the cheapest sport and quite frankly uh, you know the manitoba blizzard being the only team of our kind in province we actually have a rather large budget because we have to leave the province to find competition yeah and i should have probably added cheaper than hockey that's what yeah <laughs> that was what was hockey, missing from certainly. that question so the ice box is also uh known as the notre dame arena 271 cathedral Game one tomorrow at 7, and a lot of your fans are used to your game starting at 7.30. So 7 o'clock tomorrow night, the Ice Box, the Notre Dame Arena, and then game two will go Sunday afternoon at noon. How do folks get tickets? They just come to the door, Trevor? Yep, all ticket sales are at the gate. How much does it cost to get in, my friend? It's uh, $7. Sounds like a blast. uh, Nice cheap ticket for the family to come out and watch an exciting fast sport. Lots of scoring. Trevor, we wish you all the best of luck. We promise to keep in better touch over the next several days and and hopefully the next couple weeks as you make your way through the Rocky Mountain League Lacrosse League, pardon me, Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League 
playoffs and uh, hopefully to a second consecutive championship. Best of luck and, and thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Have a great day. That is Trevor Anyon. He is the head coach and general manager of the Manitoba Blizzard Junior B Lacrosse Club. You can check them out. They are defending their 2016 Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League Championship, starting with a playoff series against Saskatchewan Storm. The first game goes to more, or that's the SWAT, rather. <laughs> Saskatoon Storm is from the Basketball League. <laughs> that is exactly. <laughs> uh, going back in time there. Uh, tomorrow night... At 7 o'clock at the Icebox, Notre Dame Arena on Cathedral. That's just by Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Is that right? Is that the... the this Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the school? That's yeah, in Transcona. No. Oh, what's the one on... I, uh, I went to that school. What's the one on Provence there? Uh, uh, Louis Riel? Louis Riel. That's exactly where it is, right next to Louis Riel. And then Sunday at noon. All right, we'll have a look at traffic and weather coming up. We have stuff to give away. We will do all of that starting in two minutes. I think I bought a ticket for the Lotto Max yesterday. Yep. I can't find it. <laughs> That's not going to do any good. It's for sure the winner, you know that? That would be my luck. The one time I buy a ticket, I hardly ever buy a ticket. Yeah. And then, yeah, they're going to call my numbers. I have it. I remember I have bought tickets in the past and then not check them for over a year they i don't know where they ended up yeah just throw them you got to throw them away no you don't go back on the website because yeah. you can go back in time you just don't want to know yeah because you have a year right you have a year you to cash year. it in you know if gift certificates can't expire in that why are lottery tickets allowed to expire no maybe it's changed i don't know no i'm pretty sure it is a year but it is it is there was a once upon a time a tv show called lottery or something where it was their job, these two guys, they were like investigators, and that was their job was to go and find people that had, had purchased these expiring tickets. I don't know how they found them. didn't last very long. It was on, I think, after BJ and the Bear. Nice. Greg Evigan. You remember that show? Uh, Good-looking yeah. guy. He used to drive the big semi-trailer with, yep. the, with the monkey, Bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I so, remember. Anyway, that's, all, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> we have 90 seconds left before we pause. <laughs> Halfway into Friday. <laughs> <laughs> no, VJ hey, and the Bear, man, that's a great memory. VJ yeah, and the Bear. We have about 90 seconds here to give away some stuff. We have two single-day passes for Super Spike. MTS Super Spike is on this weekend. It's at Maple Grove Rugby Park. It starts at 5 o'clock, I think. So it starts at 5 today. Good memory. Then it's on again tomorrow. We probably, You know what? We probably should have done this sooner. <laughs> Because <laughs> you have to come, be able to come pick these up by 4:30. I didn't even think we had tickets to give away today. So. Yeah, maybe we were. Whatever. Yeah, give them we, away. Yeah, we got tickets to give away. We have a prize sheet, <laughs> so you got to be able to come and pick them up in the next hour at uh, 14:40 Jack Blick at Polo Park. Sorry for our uh, my lack of foresight on this, but anyway, what year is Super Spike in? The tournament's been on for a number of years. Just like all of us. How many years then? Let me reframe the question. How many years has the tournament been on? Oh, okay. Thanks, Greg. You're welcome. Tra so 204-780-6868. I didn't mean that sincerely, by the way. Shut up. It's you, uh, 322. Look at your forecast in sports next. Let it play, Milroy. A little STP on your Friday afternoon. Turn it up, man. Yep, we are on the patio at Santa Lucia, rooftop patio. The roof is closed, so we are dry as a bone, enjoying the fresh air. We wish that our good friend Hal Anderson was here, but Hal 
man, do you, do you like ever take time to yourself and slow down? Cause I had about three years to myself, and uh, to be honest with you, it's great to be back. Well, it's great to have you around, my friend. <laughs> Weren't you at the station like 4 o'clock this morning? Yeah, about 4. Well, a little later than that. I was kind of late today. I was in trouble. Oh, uh, you're slacking after all. Yeah. Uh, no, I got a little late, but I had to stick around traffic? because... Uh, Did you say because no, of traffic? No, no, I just said I was late. My alarm... It's a long story. My phone wasn't working and... Okay. Uh, anyhow. What time but, did you get uh, in? Uh, like uh, 4.30, like almost 20 to 5, which is late for a morning show. So is it, when that happens, what is the level of panic? Okay, there isn't much panic, uh, but Shanley Vidal does greet me at the door. <laughs> Uh, she is the uh, producer of the uh, Shadow Davis uh, morning show, and uh, she scolds me. Uh, of course. And she just kind of gives me the look, and I know I'm in trouble. And I head to my computer, and I just uh, work until she comes over and, and wants to talk to me. Hal, you're speaking as though this has happened more than once. Well, I'll think every day I go home. <laughs> I go home and I get this. Are you kidding me? Yeah, so you yeah. might as well just stay at your computer until, I don't well, know, you're, you're, you're there for another yeah. week. You're with us, right? No, another week doing Shadow Show, and then I think I'm Richard Cloutier for a week. Oh, good Which Lord. I'm really looking forward to. I'm, I'm curious to know what that's like. Um, but listen, I'm here today late because I am getting ready for the big show tomorrow. Uh, Hal Anderson-Wiggins, I am working tomorrow. Uh, Savannah Pierce and Austin Saragusa will be here with me, of course. Uh, but on Sunday, I am going to sleep in, and they will do the show. That's neat. Yeah. So this is a great chance for the kids. They're my radio kids, eh? And uh, this will be great for them. And then I'll uh, I'll leave them some best of bits that they can run, some uh, you know favorite moments from Hal Anderson weekends. And, uh, yeah, they're going to be great. So I think a lot of people will tune in on – probably more people will tune in on Sunday. Then tomorrow, just to hear them and, and how they are together. Because it's an interesting dynamic with the two of them. They went to college together. Right. And so uh, Savannah's always taking shots at Austin, on the air and off the air. So it's uh, it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, they're both, they can both handle themselves in the realm of shot giving oh, and sure. taking. So Absolutely. I will be tuning in for that as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Kenny Shields, uh, yeah. we've been talking about him all day. I was absolutely heartbroken by the news. I yeah. learned of it. Listening to your show this morning, we spoke to Brent Fitz uh, earlier today. I, I listened to that, and I'm going to play some of that conversation tomorrow. It was just heart-wrenching. So just tell us a little bit. I mean, Hal, I know you got to know Kenny a little bit uh, over the years. He was just a sweetheart of a man. Yeah. Gentleman is the word that comes to my mind uh, more than any other word. And I didn't know. I, I'm not here to say I knew Kenny very well, but I did know Kenny a bit. And uh he was just really nice to my mom at one point in a restaurant and called me up on stage many years ago to sing and just a really good guy and, and to hear the outpouring of love and affection for the guy. I just had Jeff uh, uh, Jeff Neal on my show from Streetheart on Tuesday talking about this show August 29th at Shaw Park and I sort of said to him off air, I said, how's Kenny? And I got the impression that Kenny was not good, but I did not expect to be making that horrible heartbreaking announcement this morning well listen Hal thanks uh, for joining us and thanks for all the you know the your fact that you're still at work at uh, 342 <laughs> yeah. after getting to work well now at, I'm uh, heading home and so now my wife will be standing at the door ready to scold me so <laughs> there you go hey can I just quickly say tomorrow on the show I hope this guy comes through for me uh, we've been talking about the Interlake Pickers these two guys I met up uh, by Gimli right. tomorrow a guy called me up and he goes huh Oh, those interlake pickers got nothing on me. I'm a thrift hunter. Have you ever heard of a thrift hunter? No. What do they do? 
We'll find out tomorrow. Oh. This guy travels around. He gets stuff at thrift stores and garage sales and whatever, and he sells it online, and he's making a buck. I love it. I yep. love people who are uh, using technology yep. to their benefit, people who can spot something that's been ignored by other people along the way. Hal, uh, tomorrow morning, yep. 7 o'clock, okay? You bet. See you All boys. right, buddy. Bye-bye. Cheers. Hal Anderson weekends, and, of course, he's been filling in for Shadow Davis this week and next. Can't wait to have him filling in for Richard, which means we'll have him around in the afternoons as well. Uh, you know, there if, to use the sports analogy, there are team guys. And then there are team guys. Hal's a team guy all the way. Love having him around. Yeah, he, uh, he's tireless, man. He is tireless. He's at work all hours. He's just one of those uh, guys who just put... He, he's one of those people that you work with at CJOB. I remember when I first started working at CJOB, and I thought I had a good work ethic. And then I saw all the people I was working with and realized I needed to really step up how hard I needed to work to, to even come close to being able to to count myself among these hard-working, great broadcasters. And up next, we're going to hear from another one of those people, Richard Cloutier, one of the hardest people, hardest-working people in Winnipeg Radio. We'll hear from him to find out what he's got coming up on the news right after we look at traffic and whether we have some tornado watches in effect in southwestern Manitoba. So we'll give you details on which spots are in effect starting in two minutes. It is 21 degrees. <laughs> he says confidently, 21 degrees? I don't know. Yes, yes. Uh, Go with that. Weather is for... Liquor Marts, on until the 30th, save up to 20% on a selection of wine, beer, and spirits. A selection of wine, beer, and spirits. Visit liquormarts.ca or see in-store for details and enjoy responsibly. So, of course, it's 22. No, it's 22. 22 I, degrees. I took a guess. I took you, did a, a, you did a great job yeah, on that. Close hey, enough. At 7 o'clock tonight, we have Blue Bomber Football, the pregame show. Kelly Moore, Doug Brown in Vancouver and a cast of many to paint the picture to set the scene for tonight's game between the Lions and the Blue Bombers. Then just after 9 o'clock will be the kickoff. Until then, between 4 and 7, Richard Cluche on a solo mission during the news this afternoon. And Rich, I have to start by asking you about your memories of Kenny Shields. A few memories. Uh, one of them uh, way back when in Kenora, the old ski hill out there, uh, Kenny Shields and Streetheart were there along with, I believe, the Headpins and a few other bands. A uh, lot of fun. I remember it being a very hot summer day. Uh, concessions, long lines, even longer lines for the bathrooms, uh, lots of beers and lots of fun. That uh, helped define a lot of our experience in the in the 1980s uh streetheart and kenny shields uh saw them oh in person maybe eight ten times over the years and uh got to got to meet kenny shields a few times not like some of the folks uh in our business that knew him very well but had met him uh, guest on the show a few times over the years uh very very affable very talented person and as you read more about his his history uh, and, and the fact that he was in a, a very severe car accident early in his age, his years, you start to really appreciate how he was appreciated by so many others in the business. And, you know, you think about the entertainment business being cutthroat to begin with. The, the picture that uh, you hear certainly today that he was uh, one of the givers in the business 
And uh, that's uh, that's obviously some of the, the stories that people are uh, are telling us today. And you can text us at 204-780-6868 where you saw Kenny Shields because I think it's uh, it helps define us and makes us feel a lot more mortal, doesn't it, Greg? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I saw uh, Streetheart and or Kenny Shields at least two dozen times in my lifetime. And as I mentioned to Brett Fitz or earlier today, anytime you would see him, it wouldn't matter if you were somewhere out of town or in your own backyard neighborhood bar. It felt like home. The music was so familiar. And I'll be listening to Streetheart all weekend this weekend in memory of Kenny. More on that story coming up after 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Sean Spicer resigning as communications director. I expect that he'll be the uh, lead guest on Saturday Night Live this fall with Melissa McCarthy. Uh, more on that story from Washington, D.C. Infrastructure issues here at home. Uh, more on, on Shields and several other stories that we're working on between 4 and 7 this afternoon. Thank you, Richard. Richard Cloutier, host of the news from 4 until 7, and as we said earlier, one of the hardest working men in not just Winnipeg Radio, but Radio Anywhere, to be quite frank. Unlike us, who uh, we've had a quite a relaxing afternoon here on the patio. Uh, I don't know, I feel as though we've put in a full day's work here in, in three hours sitting here on the patio. We've had to <laughs> deal with uh, monsoon-type rain and uh, severe wind. And uh, look at I'm trying to eat this pizza here before I leave. Like, this is hard work. <laughs> How am I supposed to eat all that before I go? Santa Lucia, St. Mary Avenue, right by Marion and Goulet. It's Mackling and McGarry, Patio Palooza, Patio Pizza Palooza. We are here until the end of July, and you can go to cjob.com. Well, we're here every Friday until the end of July, so I guess that's one more. You can go to cjob.com. For your chance to win a $100 tab to come sit on the rooftop patio, the beautiful rooftop patio. And they have this amazing retractable roof, which I has got to be the only place in the city. I, I can't say that with this certainty. This intimate, this intricate, uh, it comes from Switzerland, as I understand. It is, uh, it is really something else. So, you know, there's nothing worse than making plans to go and sit outside. And then you have to change them yep. when you get somewhere because the weather's gotten a little inclement. Not, no problem at all here. You might want a little bit of a of a shawl or a sweater or some <laughs> sort of cover-up yep. uh, if you want to sit out here right now. It's a little bit chilly, uh, but uh, by all means, come down and see us next week. Go to cgob.com. As Brett mentioned, you can win that $100 tab. We'd love to have you down here with us next Friday. It's an excuse to get out of work just a little bit early on that Friday afternoon. Yeah, come say hello, and we have to thank Mike Guyason, our on-site engineer, who once again uh, got us through. He got us hooked up, and then halfway through, uh, between our first segment and our second segment, he went from one system to another. I didn't even realize it, and uh, yeah, no panic. We just knew we'd be on the air because Mike is here. Also want to thank John Lasani, who is our street team dude, and uh, he's hopefully going to be doing a little bit more around the radio station so thank you very much john and, and i want to i want to thank ron for coming by he left me an incredible note and uh ron if you're listening thank you that absolutely did not not only make my day or my month that this has made my year your kind words uh, are very overwhelming thank you sir and i also want to thank ron for not including me on the note so i guess ron doesn't like me all that much so ron i don't like you either <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you. It was very nice of him to come and, and drop off the note. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to Macley and McGarry. Thanks to Kyle Milroy back in the studio and Savannah Piers. Richard Cloutier has the news up next.
But before I run away, Cottage Country Weather for South Beach Casino. August 20th is South Beach's Show and Shine Motorcycle Show. It's sure to be a wild time. Details at southbeachcasino.ca. Tonight, cloudy, 60% chance of showers or thunderstorms, low 16. This is for the Interlake Grand Beach and the White Shell, by the way. Cloudy tomorrow, 60% chance of showers or thunderstorms. Northwest wind up to 40 kilometers an hour with a high of 22. Sunday, sunny with a high 25. That's your Cottage Country forecast on 680 CJOB.